0: Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, you certainly are a friend to us. We're grateful that we can take everything to you in prayer, especially our weaknesses. What a privilege it is. Lord, I just pray that you would now take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and let it be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And would you also let those words be clear and understandable this morning? Come, we pray, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. I missed being with all of you. Uh, Last week as I was in California, I traveled to see my dear friend Paige, who some of you know, and I picked up a cough on my way that I assumed was just an allergy to the things that were blooming in California, because I felt fine the whole time I was there. But when I came back, uh, I started feeling worse. So I'm just praying that the Lord will work through my weakness this morning, despite the The cough that I have and the voice that's crackling and that it would be the Lord speaking. It's his spirit through the power of his word that will help us to see what's in this passage and not my voice or the work that I've put into this passage. So um, before we dive into Galatians 4, 12 through 20, I wanted you to see a couple of bookends as we start. The first is Paul's image that he uses of labor and delivery. In Galatians 4, you look we looked at this last week verses 9 through 11. Paul said, "How can you turn back again? You want to be slaves again? I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain." And then we come to today's passage which also ends with this analogy of labor and delivery. Paul says the anguish of childbirth is the anguish that he's feeling when he when he is writing. Then also notice how Paul begins And ends this passage with a family appeal. He starts with brothers in verse 12, and he ends with my little children. This is a bit of a contrast, isn't it? From the beginning of chapter 3, where he said, my foolish Galatians. This is Paul's very personal and intimate family plea here. It's a passionate call to these Galatians from a loving father to his spiritual kids. And I think this is a sweet glimpse into the gentle pastoral heart of Paul as he is the shepherd here and he is afraid for his flock in Galatia. He was not just hitting them over the head with logic and theology, but he was lovingly appealing to their hearts here in this section. Martin Luther said of these verses, he said, These words breathe Paul's own tears. And the word order here in the Greek at the beginning is is kind of important. For emphasis, in the Greek, it really says, become as I am, I plead with you. Okay, this is the first command or the first imperative that we see in Galatians. And it's really the the main point of this section. Honestly, though, you looked at this in your lesson, right? How many of us would feel comfortable saying this to someone? become as i am right this sounds arrogant but even though we might be hesitant to th- to to think of somebody imitating us warts and all the beautiful truth of the gospel is that jesus has transformed us by his grace in christ we are new creations and so we have to ask ourselves at the beginning of this section what does paul mean by this command to become as he is. What is Paul's identity? It's crucial for us to know what Paul means by this, and so what I'd like for you to do is open up your Bibles to Galatians 1, and we're going to do a little review, and we're going to walk through some passages, some verses, where Paul is telling them who he is in Christ. This is who he wants them to be. So we're going to start in Galatians 1 verse 1 where Paul says he's an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, right? Verse 3, he has received grace. Jesus gave himself for Paul's sins to deliver him and us. Verse 6, he is astonished that they are deserting Jesus and turning to a different gospel. Verse 10, he is seeking whose approval? God's approval, and he's a servant of Christ. Verse 11 and 12, he received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus. Verse 11, or uh, verse 13 and 14, he's a former zealous Jew who persecuted the church. Verse 15, he's set apart and he is called by the grace of God to preach Jesus to the Gentiles. Verse 24, his rescue and his transformed life glorify God. Chapter 2, Verses 1 and 2, Paul defended the gospel, the freedom that he has in Christ from those who wanted to bring him back to slavery. In verse 7 and 8, he was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 9, he was given grace for ministry and recognized by his brothers in Jerusalem. Verse 10, he was eager to remember the poor. In verse 11, he opposed Peter to his face for his hypocrisy. Verse 14, he said, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? And verse 16, key central verse, he is justified through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. And verse 19, he died to the law so that he might live to God. And verse 20, he is crucified with Christ and Christ lives in him and he lives by faith in the son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. In verse 21, he says, I don't nullify the grace of God. We come to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, where he asks question after question of the Galatians. Paul received the Spirit through hearing, with faith. He began by the Spirit, and all of his life is by faith. Verse 7, he's a son of Abraham. Verse 9, he's blessed. Verse 13, he's redeemed from the curse of the law. By Jesus, who became a curse for us. Verse 14, he has the blessing of Abraham in Christ. Verse 19, he was captive or imprisoned by the law, but the law led him to Jesus. Verse 26, he's a son of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, he has put on Christ. And there is a profound unity that we have in Christ. Verse 29, he's Abraham's offspring. He's an heir according to promise. Chapter 4, verse 4, he's redeemed and adopted. Verse 6, he has the spirit of Jesus in his heart. Verse 7, he's no longer a slave but a son and an heir through God. Verse 9, he is known by God. And finally, he comes to verse 11 where he says, I'm afraid that I might have labored over you in vain. So Paul continues now in verses 12 through 20 with a gospel passion for them to become as I am. So let's read uh, verses 12 through 20 now. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, what then is become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth, Until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So I have one aim this morning, and that is that you would all become like Paul. And Paul expresses this in two ways. Number one, he says, I'm in Christ. And then he also says, he wants Christ to be in you. So number one, in Christ. He says, I am in Christ. My identity is in Christ. So the first question we're going to ask is, how are they to become like Paul? We might expect Paul to say, become, become as I am, become like Christ. And he says this in other places. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Or Philippians 3. He says, Brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But here, instead, Paul says that he has become like them Gentiles who were not under the law. Paul said he died to the law. He was no longer under the law, but he was under Christ. He left his Jewish life. He's now free from the law. And he knows that it's only in Christ that we are justified. He put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul is saying, how foolish to consider going back to the law. Now, when Paul stood before King Agrippa in Acts 9, he said this. He said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. So he's saying, I know Jesus. Jesus has forgiven my sins, and although I'm in physical chains, I'm better off than you because I am in Christ. And to the Galatians, Paul was saying, look at my life. I was under the law, but Jesus saved me. He delivered me from slavery to the law, and I'm living by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. So join me. Be like me. Stop your efforts to perform works of the law in order to be justified. Don't believe these false teachers who just like to list stuff for you to do in order to be right with God. You are made right with God by grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone. So he says, become like me. My identity is in Christ. So why should they become like Paul? He begins that next section with the word for. He says, For he has become like them. And he goes on to remind them of how he labored among them, setting aside his Jewish customs. Paul preached the true gospel. He contextualized it, yes, but he did not compromise the content of the gospel. He became like them. He said, You did me no wrong. He said, He was weak, yes. He goes on to remind them how he first came to them, and he was quite sick. But they welcomed him. You received me warmly. You welcomed me. Now, we don't know what Paul's condition was. It may or may not have been the same thing as the thorn in the flesh that Paul prayed, uh, you know, for God to take away from him. He described that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But most commentators agree that Paul had some kind of persistent or occasionally severe physical problem. And although this has been debated for centuries, bottom line is we just can't know what it is. And in some ways, that's good, isn't it? That we can all have an issue that maybe we plead for God to take from us, and we, and we don't know what Paul's was, but we, we can have that same you know, camaraderie with, with our brother Paul. Um, there are three main theories. Um, number one, some scholars think that it might have been malaria, because the area where Paul first arrived in the area of Galatia was in the south. It was Pamphylia, and it was a low-lying area, and malaria was probably you know, present in that swampy area. And so if he got sick there, he might have moved up into higher ground, and that is then when he preached to the Galatians in cities like um, Pisidian and Antioch. Um, he probably would have had a fever then and other distressing symptoms, even repulsive symptoms. He says, although my condition was a trial to you. Now, this word trial, Paul used this in only two other places. And in one place, it clearly means temptation. So the Galatians may have been tempted to think that because of Paul's condition or his illness, that he wasn't truly a messenger of God. And whatever this condition was, they were probably tempted to reject Paul and his message rather than to receive him. Now, the second theory is um, that he might have had, you know, uh, they, they might have thought Paul had a demon, a theory which leads to the, th- you know, thinking that maybe it was epilepsy that he had, or maybe his eyes made him look crazy. A common belief of the time was that if you would spit on someone who was having an epileptic seizure, they would keep you from getting it. And the word here, scorn, actually lit- means to spit. To spit out so he's saying you didn't you didn't scorn me you didn't spit on me when I came to you so the warm welcome of Paul in spite of seeing maybe scary seizures was commendable but we don't know Um, but we do know that they received Paul as an angel of God as Christ Jesus the third theory is that Paul may have had a severe eye disorder was it repulsive were they disgusted were they even afraid maybe but we know that they didn't despise Paul. Think for a minute about how vitally important your eyes are to your life. Remember, Paul had been blinded on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? And for three days, he was without sight. And then we read, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. So then Paul began his ministry, and he pointed the Galatians and others to Jesus, who heals the blind, both physically and spiritually. And the Galatians were so grateful that they would have given Paul their very eyes. What an example of self-sacrificing love. They had truly welcomed Paul. Paul went on to write in Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." We can be encouraged that God is sovereign, that his providence extends to all of our bodily ailments. The gospel was preached to the Galatians in spite of or even because of Paul's condition. God uses suffering and adversities for his glory, for his purposes, and for the spread of the gospel. No one likes suffering. Paul pleaded with the Lord to take away his thorn in the flesh. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Okay, God's power looks great when we are weak. It points to God's glory and not to us. An illustration of this would be, when we moved to the Twin Cities 10 years ago, our thorn in the flesh was our house, which took five years to sell. Yeah. Mm Five years, and we we experienced a roller coaster through those five years, roller coaster of disappointments, as sale after sale fell through due to really bizarre circumstances, which I don't have time to tell you about this morning. But we kept asking, why? What was God's purpose in this trial? Each time a sale fell through, we were faced with a decision: would we grumble? Would we despair? Or would we trust the Lord? Over and over. Well, we chose to verbalize our trust in the Lord, in the Lord's provision and in His timing, and to trust that His grace would be sufficient for us. And at the end of those five years, our realtor told us how her life had been so difficult during this time, and that our trust in the Lord had encouraged her to also turn her life back to the Lord and to trust in Him. So I think we need to remember that. Others are watching us, how we handle suffering. Do we point to our trust in God despite of the pain? And if you're looking for help in this area, I highly, highly recommend Jerry Bridge's book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He unpacks the beautiful, beautiful providence of God and his sovereignty even in the hurtful things in our lives. So Paul again is saying, become as I am. Paul was received as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, the suffering servant. Paul was welcomed, and the gospel was welcomed. So he says now, what has happened? What has become of your blessedness? This is verses 15 and 16. What has happened to their joy? Oh, what deep hurt for Paul to see his precious, precious flock being led astray by false shepherds who were preaching what he called back in chapter 1, a different gospel, Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. One commentator said that they were guilty not only of sheep stealing, but also of soul butchering. This is why Paul could not just shrug his shoulders, shake the dust off of his feet, and move on to some other venue where he would likely be more appreciated. Something eternal was at stake and Paul had to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered. Remember what is at stake here. It's the truth of the gospel, that the Gentiles are gloriously included in the family of God. God's grace is offered freely to all who put their faith in Christ and are justified. So Paul began by speaking the truth in love, and he keeps on speaking that truth, even in the midst of heartbreak. He didn't shift or alter his message to win back their love. He's willing to say the unpopular hard things in loving honesty for their good. And why? Because he loves them so deeply. They're his little children. And I want you to ask yourselves whether you are willing to risk popularity to say the hard things in love. You know, do we value being faithful to God's word even if we make enemies? And I think this is going to be increasingly difficult for us in our culture because the Bible is not popular. It's even considered hate speech. It's full of truths that our world doesn't want to hear. So we need to consider this, uh, whether we are willing to say those hard things like Paul did. Now in verses 17 and 18, Paul points out the contrast between the false teachers and himself. He says, look at their motives. They're driven by pride and selfishness, by praise of man. But Paul is driven by gospel truth. His message is all about the grace of God in Christ who gave himself to redeem us. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Paul's motives were for their good. He's deeply, deeply concerned for his little children. And then he uses his image now of motherly pain. He's in pain for them. And he's so perplexed. You know, elsewhere in scripture, Paul refers to himself as a father to his spiritual children. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Philemon 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment he also refers to himself as a mother. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. But here, Paul says he is the pregnant mother who is groaning through the agony of labor and delivery. And he says, again, for the sake of his beloved baby Galatians, intense labor is awful. And I think mothers know that Despite the pains of labor, for the sake of her own health and the sake of her baby, pregnancy can't go on forever. Amen? (laughs) Paul is thinking back to his first encounter with them when he first preached the gospel, and now he is so grieved, he's so distressed to see that they are floundering. He is so worried about them falling for a distorted gospel, and he just doesn't know what to say to persuade them. He's so perplexed. He uses this term perplexed in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Again, he says, become like me. Christ is in you. He says, until Christ is formed in you. What a shift in the metaphor here. Christ in you. John Calvin wrote this, Christ being formed in us is the same as our being formed in Christ. For we are born that we may be new creatures in him. And he, on the other hand, is born in us so that we may live his life. Note the supernatural work of God that's here. Paul says, until Christ is formed in you. This is a passive Construction here, something that God does in us and to us. It's not something that we're commanded to do. Okay, at the beginning of this passage, Paul says, Become as I am. That's a command. This is not a command. He says, Until Christ is formed in you. God is doing the shaping. He is shaping us. He is changing us. He is forming us into his image. F.F. F. Bruce writes it this way He said, It is not that Paul sees two stages in the Christian experience, being justified by faith and having Christ formed within it, within. it is rather that the one implies the other and reliance on law for salvation negates both. So he's saying it's the same thing. You're justified. You have Christ in you, okay? Bruce goes on. He said, it should not have been necessary for him to endure birth pain pangs all over again on their behalf. But if... They put themselves under the law, then they are not justified by faith in Christ, and Christ is not in them. They have not yet been transferred from slavery to sonship or from the old creation to the new, all right? In Romans 8.29, Paul said this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And in Philippians 3, Paul writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then Colossians 1, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Remember Paul said back in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ Who lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Right. Paul writes of being in, uh, writes of Christ being in us 216 times. And John writes of it 26 times. This is the miracle of grace, that Christ is formed in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory and I I wrote this in your lesson, but of all the prepositions describing our relationship with Christ, Christ for me, Christ with me, the most precious is Christ in me. Mohammed does not indwell Muslims. Buddha does not inhabit Buddhists. Having Christ in us is a claim that is unique to Christianity. What a glorious mystery. Christ In you, the hope of glory. So, Paul closes this passage with his desire to be with them in person and to be able to change his tone because he is so perplexed. How could they turn their backs on the gospel, turn their backs on Christ? Why would they want to return to slavery? Next week, Paul is going to help us look at an analogy from the Old Testament, and you might find it a little challenging. Hagar and Ishmael and there's a lot going on there, but, but that's Paul's next attempt at helping them to see that they should not turn their backs on Jesus. They should not go back to slavery. We're left with the same call to action as Paul gave the Galatians, and that is become like Paul, who is in Christ. He's free. He's not under the law. Become like Christ until Christ is formed in you, In chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, we're going to see more about what this looks like practically in our lives. What does living in the spirit mean? What does bearing one another's burdens mean? Amy Catterson, our Wednesday evening leader, put it this way. She said, in Christ, we have a burden and a privilege, like Paul, to live in our true identity and keep watch over one another. So we pray with and for one another. We encourage one another. We weep with one another. We confront one another when necessary. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Take on his form, his shape in our life. So we want to be in Christ and have Christ in us. I wanted to close with a benediction that comes from the opening verses of Philippians to just encourage you. And I'm sure of this, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So you're dismissed.